What I want to be sharing this morning is uh, something on the title of uh, True Conversion. And um, this is something that's been uh, uh, on, my, on my heart for a while, because it seems to, uh, to me, if we can just flick up the first slide there, Wayne, um, it seems to me that when it comes to this topic of conversion, it's an area where there's a deficiency in much of the life of the church. You know, we talk about being converted, um, but what do we mean by conversion? And it seems that we live in an age, sadly, where the church, even the evangelical church, is hallmarked by an easy believism that seems to fall quite dramatically short from what the Bible would speak of uh, when it talks about what it means to, uh, to truly be converted. So that's the topic that I'm going to be thinking about um, this morning. Now, I live in uh, Watford, uh, just by the Boys Grammar School there. And um, uh, yeah, we can flick on the, the next slide. Um, I'm a bit of a, a fan of the Welsh boy from the Valleys, uh, Tom Jones. And uh, I don't know whether we've got any other Tom Jones fans, anyone who will admit it. Probably no one will admit it, just in case uh, you need to go for Prime Ministry or something like that. Oh, one or two. <laughs> one or two. And uh, I've only... Uh, this is uh, Mr. Jones, uh, as he is now and as he was. And uh, I've only been a fan recently. I've got a CD in my car of Tom Jones and uh, listen to it sometimes. But I've only been a fan for about a year because a year ago, there was a knock on the door. It was my next-door neighbor... And uh, I don't know him very well, actually, but my next-door neighbor just said to me, are you a fan of Tom Jones? And I said, no. And uh, he said, oh, well, that's a shame. He said, um, at work, he said, we've been given some free tickets for the... He speak, he's, he's singing tonight down at Wembley Arena. We've got some free tickets. And he said, uh, they're really good ones. And he said, that's a shame. And I said, oh, just a minute. I said, uh, I might be a fan. I said, you know, I'm, I don't know. I've not heard him for... You know, could... I said, yeah, I'll take the tickets. So I took the tickets. And uh, my wife didn't want to go, so I rang a mate and said... Uh, Let's go to this gig this, uh, this evening uh, down at Wembley. So we did. So that night, it was one of those surreal things. Far from expecting it, I found myself in these seats overlooking the stage. So, um, and Tom Jones was there doing his stuff. And uh, he's now 70 years of age, uh, which is amazing, isn't it? And, um, you know, he was, he was singing all, all his kind of favorites. It's not unusual to be loved by no one. You know, all these. He was doing, doing his doing this stuff. No need to clap. And, uh, and women were throwing their underwear. You know, you've heard, you've heard about this. I mean, as in, that's, that's what they did. They, that's what they were doing. I think they brought some pre uh, underwear in their pockets. I don't think they, would, they won't take it off or anything like that. So, uh, and, uh, but the funny thing is, Tom Jones is now 70, 70 years of age. So you think, you know, at that age, you think people would be throwing the Zimmer frames, wouldn't you? <laughs> Or maybe they're bus passes. Is me bus pass? Or something like this. But uh, no, they were throwing that. And, uh, and he was... Um, so I knew I found myself on my feet because you know, he's such a performer. So kind of, you know, I was on my feet sort of singing along to some of, some of his kind of well-known um, songs, like his number one he had a few years ago. Sex, boom, sex, boom. I'm a sex... He's got all, all, this, all the kind of ones. So um, anyway, I've been, become a bit of a fan of uh, Tom Jones. And basically why... Did this happen? Because uh, when the guy asked me at the door earlier in the day, are you a fan? My in- initial response was no. And it was quite simply um, because I had, an, I had an experience of, um, of Tom Jones, the performer. And he's a, he's a fantastic singer. He's a fantastic performer. I went down there and think, you know, I had an, ex- an encounter, an experience um, with, you know, the Tom Jones experience. I think, wow, this guy um, can sing. To be truly converted 
Uh, we need an experience with God. We need an experience with the God who has revealed himself um, in Jesus Christ. A second-hand experience won't do. It's not good enough to have a head knowledge. Uh, we need to have um, a first-hand living experience with the God who is real, the God who has invaded human history in the person of Jesus Christ, and the God who fills us with his spirit as we seek to walk in his ways by obeying him. Now, it was the famous reformer from the 15th century, Martin Luther, who said that conversion uh, was threefold. He said this, we all need three conversions, one of the heart, one of the mind, and uh, the other of the wallet. And uh, maybe that would be a good start if I was uh, speaking about stewardship or, or something like that. I'm not going to be chatting about that um, uh, today. But this idea of threefold conversion. And so what I want to say this morning is that true conversion is uh, threefold. It's conversion to Christ, it's conversion to his community, and it's conversion to his cause. And we need all three, otherwise um, we're actually, our conversion is biblically deficient. And you know, sometimes there are people within our own tradition, we, you know, we, uh, we're part of the evangelical tradition, the people within our own tradition sometimes who emphasize one to the detriment of the other. Um, sometimes we can emphasize it's all about knowing Jesus Christ, which of course it is. You know, uh, without knowing Jesus Christ, um, without having a personal experience of him, as I've already noted right at the beginning, then actually uh, the conversion can't even happen. Uh, conversion can't even be real. Um, and yet sometimes uh, evangelical Christians, they can emphasize conversion to the person of Christ, to the negligence or even the detriment of these other two, conversion uh, to his community, which is the church, and conversion uh, to his cause. And yet we need all three, just to be converted to Christ alone, even though that's vital, it's non-negotiable, it's essential, uh, that just to be converted to the person of Jesus Christ in biblical terms isn't God's best uh, for us. It's, it, isn't actually, it isn't actually true conversion. It's a deficient conversion um, if we have a personal go-it-alone relationship with Jesus Christ um, that doesn't take account of these other two. And I noted when I, when I was uh, looking at your website... Uh, I noted with interest your mission statement. And uh, your mission statement encapsulates these three. It's actually an encapsulation of um, this, this statement that I've made of true conversion, being conversion to Christ, conversion um, to um, his community, and conversion to his cause. Forest Town Church is rooted in Christ. It's planted in family. Obviously, by that, uh, you mean the, the, the family of the church, uh, one of Paul's metaphors for the church in the book of Ephesians, is the family of God, and fruitful in life. In other words, making a difference for God, being wedded to the cause of Christ, which is the cause of the gospel of the kingdom of God. So I want to uh, um, speak about um, this thing, what it means to be truly converted, knowing that I think uh, I'm on safe territory here in terms of uh, you've picked this as your mission statement for your church here um, at Forest Town Church. And so I want to uh, consider just a few verses from the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the uh, Colossians. And these three things, of, uh, which are the necessities of true conversion, are throughout the New Testament, aren't they? We can find lots of different individual passages that talk um, about, obviously, the, the absolute necessity of knowing Jesus Christ. That's, that's fundamental, that's foundational, that's non-negotiable. We, we can find other passages 
that speak about the church and the importance of the church. We've already said the book of Ephesians particularly speaks about the necessity of the church. And other passages which speak about this call that we are wedded to um, by, by definition of our conversion. Um, that actually when we're converted, we're converted to his cause, the cause of the gospel of uh, the kingdom of God. But these few verses here in Colossians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, um, just in these few verses, Paul mentions these three ingredients uh, all together uh, in one go. And uh, so this is what I want to be speaking about this morning. This is what Paul writes. He says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you, you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. So Paul is speaking to this church in, in Colossae, and he's reminding the church of these three ingredients of what it means to be a friend of God. So the first of all, he speaks about their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Um, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So that's the first thing that he says to these Christians. We're thanking God for you. Our hearts are filled with praise for you. Why? Because we've heard of your faith in King Jesus. That's the reason for his gratitude, for the overflow of thankfulness in his heart to the Father. Um, because they've heard that the, these group of individuals um, in this kind of one-horse town of Colossae in modern-day uh, Turkey in Asia Minor, uh, this church that Paul um, hadn't visited by then, but almost certainly there was a convert of Paul, Epaphras, uh, who had got converted under his ministry, who had uh, gone and taken the gospel to um, this town. Probably not unlike someone like Watford. Um, um, Colossae in the ancient world was the butt of people's jokes. You know, kind of it's a, kind of a sort of a commercial town that, um, um, that people weren't really interested in. It didn't particularly have beauty. And it was the butt of jokes, a little bit like uh, Watford. Those of us uh, who live in Watford, are, um, uh, perhaps we know what that's like. You know, can anything good come from Watford? That's the kind of um, the joke that's uh, out there among people. But, um, you know, Paul was writing to this, this, this church and saying um, that his heart was overflowing with gratitude to the Father because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We've heard that you've come to know he who is the author and giver of life. You've come to know um, the person um, who is God's sacrifice um, for sin, that you might know the Father and live in his presence, not just in this life, but the, for the whole of eternity. Um, you've come to know uh, this, this, this man who is God, who is king and servant, who is the rescuer of humanity. And so um, the first aspect, of course, of, of true conversion is conversion to Christ, conversion to um, the beautiful person of Jesus Christ. And so it's fantastic. It's there in your mission statement that um, Forest Town Church is a church which is rooted in Christ. And as uh, Christians, we need to 
um, realize that our allegiance to Christ, the fact that we put our faith um, in Christ, um, is of course uh, just the beginning. God calls us to be disciples of Christ. And that's why it's fantastic you've uh, got that word rooted, not just simply to uh, believe in Christ or have faith in Christ, but seek to be rooted in Christ, to, be, seek, to seek to be rooted um, in his life. And discipleship is something that the contemporary church has largely forgot about. Even as evangelicals, sometimes we can be so, so much into mission, we forget that our call is actually to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I saw uh, this cartoon or this, uh, um, this uh, picture on Facebook uh, recently, um, and uh, there's Jesus chatting to a young man. No, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me, um, Jesus says. Jesus is calling us to be disciples. And it's only truly uh, when we are his disciples that we can make disciples. We can't give away what we, what we haven't got. It's only when we're living in the truth of what it means to be Christ's disciples that we, we will truly have anything to export. So what does it uh, mean to be Christ's um, disciple? So let's just uh, take a little recap of the word. Uh, why Lord Sugar is there will become evident by the end. So disciple, it's a noun, it's derived from the New Testament Greek word methetes. Um, this comes from the, the verb methano, which means to learn. That's the root of the word. Hence its literal meaning is one that follows another's teaching. It comes to um, English by way of the Latin disciples, meaning learner. A disciple, therefore, is one who learns from a teacher, a student, a follower, an apprentice. I think sometimes we can be so familiar with biblical words that they lose their import in our life. And I think apprentice is a fantastic modern paraphrase which which sums up what it means to be Jesus' disciple. We're called to be his apprentices, one who learn from him, one who seek to follow in his steps, uh, one who grow by following his teachings. That's the the call on our life. Um, That's um, the call on your life collectively as a community to be rooted in Christ, to be um, his disciples. And what does that, that look like in practice? One of uh, the privileges that I had was to work as the study assistant for um, a guy called John Stott. Some of you might be familiar with him. He's a, a theologian who died just a few months ago. And uh, John Stott um, preached his last public address at the Keswick Convention. I think it was about four years ago. That was his last public sermon. And in many ways, this was Stott's famous last words uh, to the church. It was his last public communication. And this is what he said in that Keswick address four years ago. He says, I remember very vividly some years ago that the question which perplexed me as a younger Christian was this, what is God's purpose for his people? Granted that we've been converted, granted that we have been saved and received new life in Christ, but what comes next? So I want to share with you where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And it is, God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. God calls us to put our faith in Jesus Christ and to put our roots deep down into his life that we might be like him, that we might look like the holy God we serve. 
that we might have the family resemblance. When I was at theological college, um, 15 years ago now, I was at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford, I used to have an old black and white sepia photograph of my mum and my dad um, out having a drink in Liverpool. My parents were both Liverpudlians. And um, um, I used to cherish this photograph because I had very few photographs of my parents together. My parents uh, split up and divorced when I was three. And there was no contact with, with my dad. So there were, very, there were a few photographs that I had of my father. And so this was one I used to cherish it. And um, uh, basically, my parents were in their 20s. And um, they were bas- basically... Um, in Liverpool, and uh, they were in some club or pub, something like that. And my dad was sat there, and my mum was uh, sat on his lap, and both of them had a glass of wine in their hand, and um, this photo hung above my desk. And um, I was, at this time, about the same age as my dad um, uh, was in the, in the photograph. And black and white photographs were pretty trendy, even though, you know, at th- that, that stage, everyone was having black and white photographs, you know, because it was kind of the cool thing to, uh, to do. And I actually had a, a sort of an uncanny resemblance. I looked at about the same age as my dad, as my dad did there in this photograph uh, when it was taken. And I remember there was one occasion when a fellow ordinand, as they're called, kind of a trainee vicar, came into my room and uh, he looked at this black and white photograph above my desk and uh, he sort of uh, looked away, looked again at the photograph. And um, he obviously was a, a, bit, a little bit disapproving and so he thought he'd uh, admonish me um, for this worldliness. Um, and... <laughs> So he actually just said to me this, he said, uh, who's that pretty girl on your lap? And, uh, and I said, me mum. <laughs> and uh, he, was a little bit, he was a little bit surprised <laughs> by this. Because you see, he obviously thought it was me because I had the family resemblance. I looked like my dad. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God because Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. And in him, God gives us um, a model to aspire to. Some of us, we just see the incarnation, God becoming man in Jesus Christ, purely in salvation terms. That almost, you know, God became man in Jesus Christ uh, to, um, to, to, to get to that point where he died for the sin of the world so that we might be saved. And obviously, that's the glorious consummation of Christ's mission. But the three years of Christ's earthly life are to be an example to us as to how to live a perfect life. The incarnation is a model for redeemed humanity more than most of us would dare believe. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. But how do we do it? I went to John Stott's funeral uh, service a few months ago. And this is the order of service that we were given and, um, at, at, uh, at All Souls Langham Place. And Don Stott had asked a friend of his to preach for his funeral. And he'd asked him to preach on two of his favorite verses from the Bible, the two verses that really meant um, a lot to him. Um, this one from Galatians, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then this verse from John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. 
How do we become like Christ? We become like Christ not simply by having his commands, but by putting them into practice, by doing what he says, recognizing that he is the God-man. And as the old saying goes, for best results, truly, we need to consult the maker's instructions. I was a speaker at a conference down in Cornwall um, a few months back, and um, we're staying with this host family, me and my wife, and uh, we had the kind of, the room had its own kind of ensuite bathroom, and the lady was very hospitable and said, you know, help yourself to any of the shampoos here and all this kind of stuff, just make yourself at home completely. Um, so the following morning, when I was having a shower, I did that, I borrowed uh, the shampoo, I had um, kind of uh, my hair all kind of lathered up, and um, I sort of uh, took a little glance at the shampoo, I put the shampoo bottle on the side, and I sort of took a little glance at it, uh, because I noticed a picture on the front of the shampoo bottle, um, if we can flick on the next one, uh, Wayne, this little picture of a dog. Uh, <laughs> that was there on the shampoo bottle and I realized the lady had asked and invited me to use her dog shampoo um, and uh, well there were other shampoos that was just the one I lighted on so uh, I looked at this I thought Bob, Bob Martin with a picture of the dogs so um, I looked at uh, the, I turned over the back of the shampoo and it said gentle wash shampoo uh, for puppies um, and dogs um, it said and uh, then it had uh, um, basically it said for dogs only and then it um, had for external use on animals only. And then in German, um, I don't, can't speak German, but I was a bit unsettled by this, nur für die extrem, it said on the, on the thing. So uh, anyway, so obviously I kind of uh, quickly uh, decided to wash this out of my hair, hoping they wouldn't have any uh, adverse effects. And, uh, and then used a different shampoo, uh, one, one called Dove. I did make sure first it wasn't for birds before I used it, uh, but actually it was for humans, so all was well. You know, for best results, consult maker's instructions. God is our creator. Therefore, he knows how best we function. And a thing is most free when it functions as it was designed to function. God has called us not just to know Jesus Christ, but to take our roots deep into him, into his life, the life of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit to do what he says so that we might be conformed to his likeness. We might look like him. Christ's likeness is the will of God for the people of God. Okay, the second aspect of true conversion is community. As you have in your uh, mission statement, to be planted um, in a family. Um, The local church being, of course, the family of God, as Paul writes in Ephesians and elsewhere. Um, Paul goes on to say in uh, our passage, um, we've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, and of the love you have for all God's people. The love you have for the church. Who are God's people? The, uh, the Greek word ecclesia, it means gathering or community, called out ones, quite literally. Um, it's the church. We've heard of the love that you've got for Jesus, but also we've we've heard of the love that you have for the church, the faith and love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. As God's people, you you are the recipients of the good news, the good news which is the promise of hope to a world which is hopeless. Now, immediately here, 
we come across a sticking point for some people. You know, some people can believe that Jesus Christ is good news, but they can't somehow believe that um, his people are good news. I saw a bumper sticker once that said this one of these car bumper stickers, and it said, I love Jesus, it's his people that I can't stand. That was on a, on a bumper sticker. You know, the church has this bad press, um, doesn't it? Um, the local church has this bad press. You know, it's largely viewed as an irrelevance by many people in society. And there are many Christians who think that somehow the church, God's community, is an optional extra, a kind of add-on um, for those um, who feel like it. And yet that's not the teaching of the New Testament. Paul's heart was overflowing in gratitude to the Father because he'd heard about um, the love that these guys had for the Lord Jesus, but also the love that they had for the church, the love that they had for God's people, the love that they had to be part of this community of hope because they were recipients of this gospel, which was the gospel of hope. That's why his heart was overflowing. The great evangelist, probably the greatest uh, English evangelist there's ever been, John Wesley, um, in the 18th century, um, he understood this full well when he said, there's no such thing as solitary Christianity. There's no such thing as go it alone, me and my Jesus Christianity that has no reference point to God's community. This is uh, an advert that a friend of mine uh, used for his church. Um, it was on the tubes for a while. Um, it's an Anglican church at Mary's Marylebone. And um, this, this appeared, uh, as you, you go up the escalators, you'd see it on the, the London Underground um, advertising services at their church. And uh, obviously he uses this as an advert, your church, non-drowsy, you know, to counteract this image um, that we have in society of the church being an irrelevance, the church being boring, the, ch- the church perhaps um, being a cure for insomnia if we uh, choose to go along on a, on a Sunday morning. And perhaps it's not surprising that the church sometimes has this particular um, image in society at large. It's sometimes interesting, isn't it, when you go to a church yourself and uh, no one knows that you're a Christian and that kind of thing, and the experience you get on the receiving end as if, as you, for, all, for all the people know, you could be a non-believer. And, um, and the experience you get, maybe when you go on holiday and you go to a local church and um, you, know, you get ignored completely or not spoken to or, you know, not looked after in any way or, um, and you, you think, gosh, this is how it must be for a complete non-believer if they just happen to walk in the doors of this church. I um, went to St. Paul's Cathedral um, uh, um, just about a year or two ago because um, I just popped in because I was early for meeting a friend. There's a friend of mine who's a pastor in the city of London and uh, we were meeting, we're, we were rendezvousing on the steps of St. Paul's Cathedral. And so I decided, seeing as I was a bit early, uh, to go in. And you have to pay to get in St. Paul's, but they do a kind of clergy waiver thing. If you're an Anglican vicar, because you work for the firm, they let you in for free. So anyway, I said to this woman, um, I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a vicar. She kind of looked me up and down, because I was in kind of jeans and a kind of baggy shirt and this kind of stuff. And uh, she looked me up as if to think I wasn't a vicar, so I got my credit card out. She had reverend on it, so I'm a vicar. Anyway, so she let me in. And um, um, basically, I was sort of walking around um, um, St. Paul's, and I found myself at the bit um, which is under the, the dome, you know, the kind of the, the major kind of dome area where there's the kind of whispering gallery above and um, there's a kind of nave altar um, that's pictured there on the right-hand side. And, um, and my phone goes, my mobile phone goes, 
And I realize I've, I've um, obviously been lost in um, St. Paul's, and I'm now late to the meeting uh, for my friend. So he's on the steps of St. Paul's Cathedral, and he's phoning me to find out where I am. So I sort of pick up my phone, and I go, um, hello, Mark, I'm in, I'm in St. Paul's Cathedral. I say in a sort of loud whisper, and it kind of whisper, it kind of, I could hear the echo go around, uh, go around the dome. And then before I get any further, this, this officious verger appears before me, and she, um, she just says, get off your mobile phone. She says, honestly, like that, it's not kind of, excuse me, sir, would you mind, can you see the signs? It's, get off your mobile phone. And I go, got to go. And uh, put, the, put the phone down. And um, I don't know whether, when you've had that experience of someone speaking to you like that, because I haven't, I've not had that experience since I was a child, you kind of um, regress back to being a child. So, uh, you know, because you're not used to be, so I go, oh, um, um, I sort of, you know, regressed into kind of Hugh Grantery and sort of said, oh, uh, uh, oh I'm, uh, yes, so sorry, or something like this. And uh, then she carried on. She pointed at the sign that said no mobile phones on one of the uh, pillars. And she said, I cannot believe that you are on your mobile phone. And then she said this, and you are by the high altar. That was the thing that got me, that obviously there was some, for her there was some significance that I was by this table. And that made it even more of a sin that I was um, by the high altar, by this uh, communion table. And um, anyway, so I didn't dare tell her that I was a vicar and I got in on the kind of the clergy waiver scheme because probably she would have been even more appalled at at my lack of decorum in such a holy building. But, you know, just imagine if I was a non-Christian, as I could easily have been. You know, that's hardly kind of the welcome of Christ, um, is it, Um, in terms of when someone who may well be a non-believer walks into a building which bears the name of Jesus Christ. How different is our call under God? Bill Hybel said it well when he said this, I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. You know, God's plan is not that we are just saved as individuals, but um, that we're brought together in community, in family, and that together as his family, together as his army, together as his temple, there are different picture images of the community of faith. Um, we are to make a difference um, in this world. Just two weeks ago today, my younger brother, Heath, came to stay, and he's, he, he very rarely comes to stay with me and my wife, uh, hardly, hardly at all. And he came down to stay partly because he was having some um, um, difficult issues in his, in his kind of personal life. And so he, he came down just for the Saturday night. And on the Sunday morning... Me and my wife were, were preparing to go to our church, St. Andrew's, Chorley Wood. And um, we talked beforehand and said, do you think Heath, my younger brother, do you think he'll go? My wife asked me that, and I said, oh, no, I'm, sh- he w- I'm sure he won't go. Because he, basically, my brother, he's, he, he'd always say that he believed in God, but he's never shown any interest in um, true Christianity. He's never given his life to Christ. He's, never, he's got an aversion to church and um, spiritual things generally. So I said, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's not going to go. But uh, I said, well, I'll give, it, I'll give it a go. So I go into his room and say, we're, uh, we're going to church shortly. Would you like to come? And he goes, no. And I go, okay. And uh, then I said to him, you know, you're going through this difficult stuff. You might, it might give you a fresh perspective, is what I said. And he goes, no, I don't want to come. So obviously I, did, I didn't want to push it. So I said, fine, that's absolutely, absolutely fine. And then I was um, walking out the door and he said, yes, I will come. He changed his mind. And so I thought, oh, this is interesting. So uh, he, came to, he came to church, so we were sat there in church, and my brother, um, my wife was sat on my, on my left, um, Heath, my brother, was sat on my right, and he didn't join in. He didn't join in at all. He didn't sort of even bother mouthing the words to the songs and stuff and, uh, or, the, or the prayers or anything like that. He didn't join in he, he, at, at all. 
And then there was a kind of long sermon that happened. And at the end of the sermon, the vicar just said, uh, okay, let's just bless the person to your right, bless the person to your left. He said, just put a hand on the shoulder of the person to your right, hand of the shoulder of the person to your right, and just say a quick prayer of blessing. So uh, I thought, oh, this would be interesting how he finds this. So, uh, so I basically put my hand on his shoulder, my wife's shoulder, and he didn't put the hand on the person of the shoulder next to him. He sort of, sort of stayed kind of pretty frozen. And basically, my prayer of blessing was this. Get him, Lord. Get him, Lord. Get him. Get him. Like, that, was, that was my prayer of blessing. And, uh, and then, uh, basically, then we went into singing. We went into worshiping God in song. And we were singing these songs, and I felt, I felt God say to me, ask him if he felt anything. And I thought, no, that's, you know, kind of... He, did, he didn't seem as if he felt anything. You know, he didn't seem moved or anything. And, you know, he just, he just kind of froze. And uh, he probably just find that pushy on. And anyway, I sensed that nudge again from God, and you know, ask him if he felt anything. So I, I sort of turned to Heath, and I said, you know, when I put my hand on your shoulder to pray, did you feel anything? And he said, he's pretty blokish, he said, I did actually. And, uh, and I said, uh, what did you feel? And he looked at me, and he said, hope. And I was so, I was really, really surprised. I mean, that's not a word that a normal kind of working, unchurched bloke uses. Not a word that my brother particularly uses. And, uh, he, you know, he's not familiar uh, with Colossians um, about, the ch- you know, the church being the community of hope. You know, but that's what he said, hope. He later said to me he felt hope rising in him. And uh, anyway, I, so I said to him, it was communion um, that morning. And, and I said to him, uh, I said, look, if you want to, I've said to you many times, Heath, if you want to um, give your life, to Jesus Christ. Um, I said, uh, what you could do, you know, it's not good enough just to believe in God in your head, you need to receive Christ into your life. I said, you could go up to communion this morning, and I said, take the bread and the wine, and as you take the bread and the wine, repent and receive, say, ask Jesus to come into your life as you take the bread um, and the wine. John Wesley used to speak about communion being a converting ordinance. Um, you know, obviously, if the person is born again during communion, so I thought, hey, hey uh, that might be a good idea. So, uh, so I basically, I said that to him, and he went, yeah, all right. And um, anyway, we carried on, we carried on uh, worshipping. And then a few minutes later, um, he began to sob. Um, he just began to, he had his head in his hands, and he, he, began, to, he began to weep. And, um, um, and then, sure enough, when it was time for communion, he came forward, um, came to the front, received the bread and the wine. And he spoke to me afterwards. He said, you know, I did, I did what you said. He said, I, you know, asked, you know, said sorry and asked Jesus come into my life and I pray I prayed for him um, again there at the end and he said this he said you know I, I sensed he said there was it was kind of like electric I sensed love in the building and I'm sure there were many born-again believers who didn't sense that electricity you know that sense of love in the building but he said for him you know he sensed love in the building and he said you know when the prayer happened he said he felt hope um, he felt hope rising we are to be um, that community of hope and love. As, as Paul writes, I've heard of the love that you've got for God's people, the church, the faith and love, he says, that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you've already heard about in the word of truth, in the gospel that has come to you. We are called together, not to go it alone, but we are called together as the family of God to be a community of faith, to be a community of love, to be a community of hope. That's the calling that God has placed on each of us. That's the calling for you guys as a community, the community of Forest Town Church. 
Okay, thirdly, finally, true conversion is um, um, conversion to a cause. Notice that Paul writes, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Paul writes to these Christians that this gospel that you have been recipients of, all over the world, this gospel is doing its stuff. In other words, it's producing fruit. It's producing men and women who are brought from darkness into the glorious light of Christ. But I think what Paul is saying here is that the fruit that comes from the gospel is not just numerical growth in terms of people becoming Christians, um, but actually um, the, the growth which is um, maturity that comes from being rooted and established in the God who is love. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing just as it has done, as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. For these Christians in Colossae, becoming Christians wasn't the, wasn't the end of the process, it was the beginning of the process when they were actually um, um, brought to know God and then transformation occurred as they pressed into God, obeyed the commands of Christ in the power of the Spirit and experienced um, fruitfulness uh, in their own lives. Okay, if we can uh, flick on, uh, Wayne, to uh, flick on that one. We're going to move on from that one and the next one and to the map. Um, I'm going to finish with a story that just happened to me a few years ago when I, was, I went to a church. I went to, to uh, a conference on the south coast in Brighton. And I was uh, attending this leaders' conference in Brighton. I was staying with some friends of my wife um, in Hove. And this particular morning, I was kind of a bit late for the conference. I needed to get there, um, get there, there quick for the conference. And I sort of stepped out of the house. I was um, looking for the bus stop. I needed to get the bus into the centre of Brighton. And I asked directions from this young woman. She was in her 20s. And I just simply asked her the way to the bus stop. And as she was giving me directions to the bus stop, I noticed that she had um, a kind of a cut on her forehead. It looked, it looked like a fresh cut that uh, hadn't been dressed um, and, and dealt with. And um, it turns out she'd fallen over the night before and gashed her head. And I said, are you, are you okay? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. And she explained to me that she'd had this accident the night before. And I said, are you in pain? And she said, yeah, I can feel the pain now. She said, it's, it's throbbing. And I said, look, I'm a, I'm a vicar. Could I just pray for you? And uh, she said, yep, that's, that's fine. And so I put a hand on her shoulder, and I just prayed that God would heal this, this, um, this gash that she's got. And um, as I put a hand on her shoulder, she began to shake. And so I sort of took my hand off her shoulder. And, um, and she said immediately, she said, oh, the pain, it's gone. The pain, the, the mark was still there. But she said, the, the pain, the throbbing, it's, it's gone. And, um, and she said, that's amazing. So I... Um, said, yeah, that's, that's God. Do you believe in God? And she said, oh, I believe in a higher power. Turns out the reason she'd fallen over the night before, she was an alcoholic, and um, she, uh, she, you know, she, she goes to Alcoholics Anonymous, and as you know, the 12 steps, etc. believe in a higher power. So she said, oh, yeah, we, you know, we're told to believe in a higher power, so I believe in a higher power. So I said to her, I said, well, this higher power, I believe it's not a coincidence that we've bumped into each other today. I think God has caused this to happen, to tell you, to tell you that this higher power, his name is Jesus. And uh, so I shared with her the, the gospel 
And um, basically, she, um, she wanted to give her life to, to Christ, as, as I explained it simply to her. And uh, so I basically prayed for her again, and she gave her life to Christ. She said she felt this amazing peace um, come into her. She was feeling anguished and you know, just very stressed. Very, uh, she, I think the phrase she used was like a blackness inside. She said she was feeling, and she said she felt this, this peace come into her. And um, then I began to tell her about um, church, because when I lead someone to Christ, seeing as I believe that true conversion is conversion to, his, to Christ, but conversion to his cause and conversion to his community, then you know, I, always, I always make that link. So I began to tell her about church and stuff, and I knew, knew of a good church in Brighton. And, um, and then I just said, look, um, can I pray for you just one more time, just that God will break off this alcoholic addiction? And she said, yes, that, that's, that'd be great. So one last time, I prayed for her, put a hand on her shoulder, Pray that God would break off the power of this addiction on her life. And as I did that, uh, she basically um, vomited twice on the pavement. And it was like, it was kind of, I've never seen it, it was kind of like projectile vomit. And it sort of, sort of twice on the pavement. It was kind of, it was all kind of green and yellow. And uh, I've never quite seen vomit that color. Sorry if this is putting off your croissants. And she was surprised too, because she said, oh, I've only had toast for breakfast, she said. So she was a little bit surprised. And anyway, by now, she was shaking like this, and she was crying. She started crying, and she was shaking. And, and um, so uh, I thought, you know, I said to her, where do you live? She told me she lived in a bedsit just a block away. And I thought I'd better offer to take her back, because she, you know, she was crying, she was shaking. You know, at, the mo- at this point, she looked in a worse state than when I met her, <laughs> which isn't generally the idea. But uh, uh, So I, I offered her to take her back. So I took her back, and she took me into this kind of really unkempt bedsit, and and um, it looked really kind of not been she cleaned she not cleaned it for months on end and, and I, I basically said look what you um, what were you doing and she said oh my pet cat I was going to get some cat food and and, and so I tried to be practical I said look I'll, I'll go and get the cat food where's the shop she told me where the shop is she said do you want money no I'll, I'll pay for it it's fine you just sit here pray to Jesus I said just pray to Jesus I'll go and get the cat food so off, off I went I knew however it wasn't wasn't altogether bad because uh, as I walked out the door she said are you an angel she said and I said no just a Church of England vicar so she well, obviously she well, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. She wasn't feeling that bad. So I, got to the, I went to the ch- local shop, and uh, was, I've never bought cat food in my life. There were six different tins of Whiskers cat food, and I thought, you know, which one, what, what one do I get? And, uh, and I sensed God said, get all of them. And I thought, I didn't, have, you know, I didn't have time to argue with God, as I normally do. So I got, I got all six, and I, t- I took the t- and I went in, and I put the cat food on the side. And, um, and then, basically, um, I, fe- I felt God give me some words that he wanted me to say about the cat food, basically to prophesy through the cat food. I thought, this is crazy, but I'll go with it. So I said... You know, I said to a Faye, her name was Faye, I said, Faye, I believe God would say to you that, you know, if I love your cat like this, how much more do I love you? And she began to cry again. And then we prayed uh, again. I said, look, can I pray for you before I go? And uh, we prayed. And as, as we prayed, I got a very vivid picture in my mind that this woman, Faye, in her 20s, she'd been tempted to take her own life. And it, and it'd been a, it was a few weeks before. I, th- I sensed it was by drowning. In other words, by walking into the sea until she drowned herself. And I even knew that, it sensed in my mind that it was the end of the road, turn left. The end of the road was the sea. The end of the road, turn left, about five minutes. It was just, it all came to me at once. So I said this to her, look, I said, Faye, have you ever been tempted to commit suicide? And I explained about the drowning thing. And she said, you know, I've, she said, I've been tempted to take my own life many times, but only once in the way that you describe. And she said a few weeks ago, she said it was really bad. And I was tempted to um, go to the sea and just carry on walking into the sea until I drowned. Turns out that she was into New Age stuff and she thought the sea was God, you know, pantheism, the sea God and all this stuff. And she said, you know, it was the end of the road, you know, turn left about um, five minutes. So, I, I knew I, so basically I prayed for her um, again. And um, I, I basically left her, went to my conference. 
And I went to see her a few days later. So um, I knocked on the door, didn't know what to expect. She was delighted to see me. Didn't quite know the reception I was going to get. She opened the door, she said, come in, come in. First thing I noticed is there were fresh flowers there and she cleaned up. Obviously, for the first time in months, the whole place was clean, transformed. And um, she sort of sat me down and offered me a cup of tea and was really excited to tell me about what happened. First thing she said, I've not had a drink, she said. And, well, obviously, that was only a few days, so it maybe that, not that surprising. But she said, I've not even had a desire for a drink. There's no de- I've, I've lost the desire to drink alcohol. I said, well, that's fantastic. And then she said, and also that peace that I experienced, it's, it's never left me. I feel it now, that sense of peace. And I said, that's, really, that's fantastic. That's really good. And then she said, oh, and I, I slept the night, the, the night um, that night after I gave you know, my life to Christ. She said, um, I slept all the night through. And normally as an alcoholic, she said, I only sleep four hours a night, something like this. And she said, but I, I went to sleep and I just slept all the way through for eight hours, this wonderful, restful, peaceful sleep. She's not even asked for that. We not even prayed for that. You know, she just knew this, uh, this rest. And I said, that, that's fantastic. And then she said, I've been praying to Jesus like you told me to. And she said, whenever I pray to Jesus, she said, it's like a tingling starts in my fingers and it comes up through my arms and I feel this tingling and this warmth in my chest. And I said, that's good. I said, that, believe that's the Holy Spirit, Faye. And then she said, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous last night. She said, and I stood up in front of them and I told everybody the story. And normally I'm terrified of public speaking and terrified of rejection. And yet there were people there looking as if they weren't accepting what I was saying, but I didn't care. And she said, I told them that I met this vicar and he, he led me to Jesus. And uh, she said, I, I said how um, you prayed for me and I was sick and something left me. That was the phrase she used. Something left me. Obviously there's some kind of deliverance going on there. And, um, and, uh, and you know, basically she was just saying how it had been uh, you know, an amazing few days. And she said, Do you know, it's been so good these past few days. She said, I've been tempted to believe that it was all um, in my imagination. I used to hallucinate as an alcoholic. And she said, but you know, when I was tempted to think it was all an hallucination in my imagination, um, all I did, she said, I went to the cupboard and she said, there were the six tins of cat food. And she said, I knew, I knew it was true, um, she said. You know, I'd love to tell you that things like um, that encounter, you know, happen to me on a regular basis. Uh, they don't. Um, you know, sadly, I wish that, I wish that they did um, much more. But, you know, we've been called uh, together um, on a mission. Uh, we're called uh, to Christ. We're called to his community. Um, but we're also called to his cause, the, the cause of the gospel of the kingdom of God. We're called to be fruitful. We're called to take this good news by proclamation and demonstration to a sin-sick world which is in rebellion against him and which so badly needs to know him and to know uh, the healing touch um, of his transforming power. Last week, as you probably heard, I'm sure you heard it, dominated the media. Uh, the founder of Apple um, died. And uh, I basically, I'm, I'm a bit of a news junkie, and I checked um, the news. I checked the news often, often in the morning. I checked the news on my um, iPhone, and um, I'm preaching um, on my iPhone now. And um, I, I basically checked Sky News on my iPhone, and it, 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 the first thing was, in, in terms of British time, Steve Jobs had died in the night. And um, there was this tribute by Barack Obama um, that said this. It said, Steve was among the greatest of American innovators, brave enough to think differently, bold enough to believe he could change the world, and talented enough to do it. The world has lost a visionary. And there'd be no, there may be no greater tribute to Steve's success than the fact that much of the world learned of his passing on a device that he invented. And as I read those words, learning from the iPhone, 
that he died, just as Obama said. Actually, my eyes actually filled it with tears as I read that you know, stirring tribute from Obama. And um, I thought to myself, you know, here's a guy, wasn't a Christian as, as far as we know. You know, here's a guy who made a difference, a, a man of influence, a man who's changed uh, the world. The tributes have been pouring in to him. And, uh, and the things that Obama was saying, you know, he was an innovator. He was brave enough to think differently. Um, he was bold. Uh, he believed he could change uh, the world. He was a visionary, and he harnessed his gifts, his talents, um, to that end so that he could make um, a difference. You know, this is true of um, Steve Jobs and, um, and kind of Apple technology. How much more, brothers and sisters, should this be true of us? Those of us who have been saved by the sheer grace of Jesus Christ and brought to know him. Those of us who've been brought into this spacious place, community, this, uh, the, the family of God as it is, um, the, the church. But we've been given this glorious call, this call to make a difference in the world. We've been given this amazing charge, which is uh, to take the cause of Christ um, into uh, the world, the cause of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. God calls us to be fruitful, uh, to live our lives in such radical obedience that the world will sit up and recognize that there is a God in heaven who longs to enfold us in his divine embrace. Let's just pray together. Let's bow our heads to pray. And uh, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do a general prayer and a specific prayer. But first of all, I just want to do um, a specific prayer for anyone here who may never have given your life to Jesus Christ. And uh, every church that I know, most churches that I know have a fringe, you know, people who are kind of, you know, maybe you're kind of hanging out with the church, maybe you've been doing an alpha course, maybe you've been uh, invited to church the past few weeks, or maybe just this morning. And, uh, you know, m- but maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you, you feel something about today, either something you've heard or something you've experienced in the worship. Uh, you actually n- you know that this stuff is true. Um, and uh, I'm going to do a simple prayer for you if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. Say true conversion, first and foremost, is conversion to Christ. If you've never done it, like my brother two weeks ago, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to um, repent of your sins and ask Jesus uh, to come into your life. And, um, and basically, I'm going to do a very simple prayer. I'm not going to ask you to pray it out loud, um, but I just start, I'm going to pause at the end of each line and... It, if you believe this, um, or if you, if you wanna, want this to be true for you, just say it with all your heart. Um, if you're going to um, pray, just as we're, we've, we're praying now, if you're going to pray this prayer with me, could you just indicate that to me by raising your right hand? Could you just raise your right hand where you are if you're here this morning and you're going to pray this prayer of uh, commitment to Jesus Christ? Okay, here's, here's uh, the prayer. Um, um, Heavenly Father, I turn my life over to your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, I say sorry for my sins. And I turn to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me be your true apprentice. Help me serve you in the community of your church. Set my heart ablaze with passion for your cause that I, may, that I may make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name.
Amen.